Bereshit ends on a sublime note of reconciliation between Joseph and his brothers. The brothers were afraid that he hadn't really forgiven them for selling him into slavery. They suspected that he was merely delaying his revenge until their father died. So after Jacob's death, they expressed their fear. But Joseph insisted, Don't be afraid. Am I in place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I'll provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. This is the second time he'd said something like this to them. Earlier he'd spoken similarly when he first disclosed that he, the man they thought was an Egyptian viceroy called Tsofnas Paneach, was actually their own brother Joseph. I am your brother Joseph, he said, the one you sold into Egypt, and now don't be distressed and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been famine in the land, and for the next five years there'll be no plowing or reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it wasn't you who sent me here, but God. This is a crucial moment in the history of faith. It marks the birth of forgiveness, the first recorded moment at which one person forgives another for a wrong they've done. But it also establishes another and perhaps equally important principle, the idea of divine providence. History isn't what Joseph Heller called it, a trash bag of random coincidences blown open in the wind. History has a purpose, a point, a plot. God is at work behind the scenes. Or as Hamlet put it, there's a divinity that shapes our ends, rough-hew them how we will. Joseph's greatness was that he sensed this, Nothing in his life, he now knew, had happened by accident. The plot to kill him, his sale as a slave, the false accusations of Potiphar's wife, his time in prison, and his disappointed hope that the chief butler would remember him and secure his release. All these events that might have cast him into ever deeper depths of despair turned out in retrospect to be necessary steps in the journey that eventuated in his becoming second in command in Egypt and the one person capable of saving the whole country as well as his own family from starving in the years of famine. Joseph had, in double measure, one of the necessary gifts of a leader, the ability to keep going despite opposition, envy, false accusation, and repeated setbacks. Every leader who stands for anything will face opposition. This may be a genuine conflict of interests. A leader elected to make society more equitable will almost certainly win the support of the poor and the antagonism of the rich. Someone elected to reduce the tax burden will do exactly the opposite. It can't be avoided. Politics without conflict is a contradiction in terms. Any leader elected to anything, or anyone more loved or gifted than others, will face envy. Rivals will say, why wasn't it me? That's what Korach thought about Moses and Aaron. It's what the brothers thought about Joseph when they saw that their father loved him more than them. It's what Antonio Salieri thought about the more gifted Mozart, at least according to Peter Schaffer's play Amadeus. 
As for false accusations, they've occurred often enough in history. Joan of Arc was accused of heresy and burned at the stake. A quarter century later, she was posthumously declared innocent by an official court of inquiry. In 1692-3, more than 20 people were put to death as a result of the Salem witch trials. Years later, as their innocence began to be perceived, a priest present at the trials, John Hale, admitted, Such was the darkness of that day that we walked in the clouds and could not see our way. The most famous false accusation of modern times was the trial of Alfred Dreyfus, a French officer of Jewish descent accused of being a German spy. The affair rocked France during the years 1894 and 1906 before Dreyfus was finally acquitted. Setbacks, as well, are a part of the life story of the most successful. J.K. Rowling's initial Harry Potter novel was rejected by the first twelve publishers she sent it to. Another writer of a book about children suffered 21 rejections. The book was called Lord of the Flies and its author, William Golding, was eventually awarded the Nobel Prize for Literature. In his famous commencement address at Stanford University, the late Steve Jobs told the story of the three blows of fate that shaped his life. Dropping out of university, being fired from Apple, the company he founded, and being diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Rather than being defeated by them, he turned them all to creative use. For 22 years, I lived close to Abbey Road, North London, where a famous pop group recorded all their hits. At their first audition, they performed for a record company who told them that guitar bands were on their way out. The verdict on their performance in January 1962 was just this. The Beatles have no future in show business. All this explains Winston Churchill's great remark that success is the ability to go from one failure to another with no loss of enthusiasm. It may be that what sustains people through repeated setbacks is belief in themselves, or sheer tenacity, or the lack of alternatives. But what sustained Joseph was his insight into divine providence. A plan was unfolding whose end he could only dimly discern, but at some stage he seems to have realized that he was one of the characters in a far larger drama, and that all the bad things that had happened to him were necessary if the attended outcome were to occur. As he said to his brothers, it wasn't you who sent me here, but God. This willingness to let events work themselves out in accordance with providence, this understanding that we are at best no more than co-authors of our lives, allow Joseph to survive without resentment about the past or despair in face of the future. Trust in God gave him immense strength, which is what we will need if we are to dare greatly. Whatever malice other people harbour against us, and the more successful you are, the more malice there is. If we can say you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, we will survive, our strength intact and our energy undiminished.